Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. Before we get started on our Midnight Mass themed episode, I just wanted to touch base on some recent news that uh, that hit the media world earlier this week. Uh, so they're doing a new Mario movie animated by Illumination Studios, and they announced the cast list this week. All right, so who's in the cast list? And... Ryan has not seen this, so I'm just going to read the list off real quick. And I'll just react to each one as so, we go. So we'll start with the lesser characters first, because they're, they're okay. But, okay, Cranky Kong. You know about Cranky Kong, right? I don't think I do. I haven't played a Mario game in a long time. He's Donkey Kong's Oh, grandfather, grandfather. Yes, yes, yes. So he's voiced by Fred Armiston. Okay, that's not terrible. It's not horrible, right? Yeah. Then we got Toad. You know Toad? I know Toad. Voiced by Keegan-Michael Key. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. Donkey Kong, voiced by Seth Rogen. Okay. Not amazing, but okay. I, just picture his laugh as yeah. Donkey oh, Kong God. laughing yeah. at Seth Rogen. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> All right, Bowser is voiced by Jack Black. I can almost see that working. I think he's the best cast of the Okay. Most. But here's the big three. Peach, voiced by Anna Taylor-Joy. Can she do comedy? I don't know. She's never tried. I mean, she's really good in stuff I've seen her. Yeah, in, but she's, she's great. Always, yeah. But as Peach? I would say more someone more like um, Girl from Bridesmaids. Can't think of her name. Uh, Maya Rudolph? No. Um, the woman who wrote it. She's also in Ghostbusters. Oh, Tina Fey? Yes. No. The uh, other one. Um, cannot think Kristen of her name. Wiig? Yes. Okay. I think she'd be a great Peach in a comedy. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. All right. Luigi. Charlie Day. It could work. It could work. It could work. If you made a very different characterization of Luigi, yeah, that could work. And here's the the number one role. Super Mario is voiced by none other than Chris Pratt. I'm sorry, what? Mario is voiced by Chris Pratt. Yeah, I don't see that working. <laughs> Me neither. I really don't see that. That, uh, that is some out of left field casting. I mean, he's a big draw, I guess, is the only thing I can think of. But I can't see him doing a Mario voice. No, but it's interesting that he's doing Mario and Jack Black is doing Bowser because onward, Chris Pratt is basically playing Jack Black in that movie. Yeah. So that's the most interesting thing about that to me. I just oh, like... God. Everyone apart from Chris Pratt, I think, could be good. Mm -hmm. But Chris Pratt is... When I think Mario, I don't think Chris Pratt. No. Honestly, when I think any of these characters, I don't think big voice celebrities. No, I think I, that's... They, they don't have voices, and that's for a reason. Yes. And also, this has been hitting like film Twitter recently. There are trained, skilled voice actors waiting in the wings to do these parts. And you're yes. just getting these actors because they'll be big-name draws, but they don't typically turn in good voice performances. Yes, they're there to make a quick buck, and that's yeah. about it. And it usually, like, these movies end up costing millions and millions of dollars because of the voice cast, mm. and the animators work themselves to the bone, and no one remembers the movies after that, and it's really silly. Yeah, they often are just money makers. People mm. forget about them. Kids see them. The parents get the kids to shut up for two hours. Yeah. And that's it. But, I mean, even going back to, like, Beauty and the Beast, or you had voice actors. They weren't huge celebrities, but they got the job done. Those movies are well-remembered. Yep. They're classics. Yeah. And the only one that had a celebrity was Robin Williams as the genie. Mm -hmm. And, and was, even yeah. he didn't want his name on it. He wanted it to be a surprise. Yeah, it was written into his contract. Mm -hmm. They could not do a bunch of the advertising they ended up doing. And I think he sued them for he breach sued, of contract. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's why he didn't return for the second yeah. film. He's in the third one now. Yes. So they got that hashed out. But that yeah. was just some fun movie news before we get into yeah, the heavy something stuff. way uh, way less fun. Oh, way less funny anyway. Yeah. I, I really really no, spoilers. I really really <laughs> enjoyed the show. But uh, so, come yeah. back after the the music and the intro, and we will talk Midnight Mass. If it's anything like Bly Manor, this will be a 45-minute to 60-minute episode. So thanks for tuning in, and stay tuned. Welcome back to the Crossroads Podcast for our second annual Mike Flanagan special. I like these annual specials. <laughs> yeah. Mike Flanagan, he knows what he's doing. He does know what he's doing. Instead of what we normally do where we will compare a new and an old movie, we're going to take a deep dive into the new Netflix release, Midnight Mass, which just hit at the time of recording on uh, last Friday. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan. I'm your other host, Rob. And Midnight Mass was conceived written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Some of the episodes have co-writers, but he wrote or co-wrote all of them. He did like the major outline for yeah. the show and each individual outline for the episodes. And yeah, I'm sure the co-writers were there for like subplots. Yeah. And one of them is his brother, uh, James, who looks just like him. <laughs> um, this is Flanagan unleashed. This yeah. is like him getting to do everything he's ever wanted to do. Yeah. This, yeah. like, if you've been following Mike Flanagan as closely as we have, yeah. you just see the culmination of all his previous works come together in Midnight Mass. Yeah, it, it does not rely on anything he's ever done, but especially the, the haunting shows kind of teach you how to enjoy this show. Mm-hmm. It has a lot in common with those, not thematically, but stylistically. Yeah, a lot of monologues. A lot, lot of, of monologues. A lot of character stuff beautifully shot incredible gorgeous i mean i thought that hill house had a lot of monologues but every episode has at least one or two and, and mm-hmm. sometimes they get in the way of the plot yes they're and usually really good but sometimes it's like this should be ratcheting towards an ending guys yeah and well i'll get more into this later when we talk about things mm-hmm. we didn't like but the monologues definitely took me out of key moments yeah um they, they come in at pivotal scenes, and they're very um, philosophical. And the they dive part, yeah. they dive deep into each character's psyche and their beliefs and what they believe. And while they're very well-written, they're not as deep as Flanagan thinks they are. And, yes. and they tend to drag on for longer than they need to. Yes, there's one in particular we'll, we'll get to in a spoiler section that is five and a half minutes long that is a very good speech but if it could have worked better earlier in the show mm-hmm. not you know towards the end when we are really like itching for a conclusion to this story that's been going on for six hours at this point yeah um it's it's a great well-acted moment but it's just not this is not the right time for this yeah and i think i know which scene you're talking mm-hmm. about but we'll get into that later mm-hmm. so the plot of midnight mass is it's this remote island, Cooper's, uh, uh, Co- like Copper's, something Copper's like, Point, something pot, 
Yeah. Cooper's pot, copper's pot, something like that. Something I like that. I, can't think. They, I don't think really they ever really say it. They call it like the melting pot. They call it a yeah. couple other things. It's this small island 30 miles off the coast of Washington State um, where there's... Crockett Island. Crockett Island. And they call it the crock pot. That, that's what it is. Yes. Crock Island. It just sounds kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like 30 miles off off of Washington State. There's like 30 people. Who 127, according... I went back and looked at that. Did you? Yeah, 127 people still live there okay. at the time of the beginning of the show. Okay. Um, but we really only follow like 30 of them. Yeah. A lot of them are just, you know... Side characters. Yeah, kind you of... see in, them in the background. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's still a pretty big ensemble cast. Yes. Uh, they call it the melting pot, which is not really true. It's mostly a very white area. There's a couple non-white people, but for the most part, yeah, um, it's a it's a dying fishing community where people have just been getting up and leaving without even bothering to sell their house for some time because there just isn't. They they talk about how there'd been an oil spill there mm-hmm. recently and it killed most of the fish. Yeah, no income. It's yeah. all. Pretty much self-sustained. Yeah, they they are they do talk about getting government subsidies a little bit, like mm-hmm. they're getting disability and, and stuff from not being able to fish. Mm-hmm. But there's really nothing else to do on that island. I don't think there's even like a well, there's a grocery, a small yeah, there's grocery a generous store. store slash sheriff's office. Yes, uh, the sheriff is a newcomer, which is not that unusual, but he is Muslim in a predominantly Catholic community, and Every, that causes yeah. tension. He's the only non-Catholic yeah. citizen. He and his son, and his son is Catholic curious. Yes. Because all his friends are Catholic. Yes. Even, like, the drug dealers are Catholic. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, they don't really talk about forms of entertainment apart from going to church, going yeah. to Mass every Sunday. Some people get shamed for not going every day. Yeah. Um, there's a ferry that leaves the island twice a day. It's very isolated, very self-sustaining community. Everybody knows everyone. Yes, and uh, in addition to the sheriff, there's another return, Riley Flynn, who uh, was a high-rolling investor in New York City and killed someone in a drunk driving accident and has been released from prison and has nowhere to go, and he returns to the island. And you kind of follow him. Yes. Um, he's the point-of-view character as you go through and like rediscover this island and the quirky neighbors that are there, and his dad you know, doesn't know how to talk to him. And then this new priest shows up because the old priest has become very sick. Yeah. Like the priest was supposed to be on arriving the same day as Riley. Yes. And he wasn't on the ferry. Yes. And um, Betty is her name. The Bev. Second, Bev. Yeah. Oh, man. She's a piece oh. of work. Bev is. Um, what would you. What would you describe her She role? is, she's not a nun, but she's sort of like a... F- she's like the second in command of the yeah. church. I just believe she's a volunteer. Place. I don't think she like necessarily works for the church. She seems to work for the school. Okay. Um, but she, because they do have a public school. She, she mm-hmm. appears to work for the school, but she doesn't, she volunteers. She does some reading. She does some help around the church mm-hmm. and she's just... But you can tell she has her hands in the... Oh, absolutely, yes. They don't jump without asking her. Yeah, she... um, This was Samantha Sloan, who is in Haunting of Hill House. She played Stephen's wife and basically had nothing to do in that show. She's Mm -hmm. just kind of there to, you know, be his wife. 
the character is awful, but she is amazing. In She's this part. a fantastic actress. Yeah. I don't think I ever hated a character as much as I hated her. Maybe Umbridge from Harry Potter, but like that's about it. Good comparison. Yeah, <laughs> like they're both awful in very similar ways. Yes. And I've never seen this level of performance from her before. She's been in some other Flanagan projects mm-hmm. as well. Usually, it's like the friend or the wife, but she is just. She's walking that line between being. She's not like physically intimidating at all, but she's no. terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, like even the handyman who's like yeah. double her size mm. is afraid of her. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into some spoiler stuff later, but yeah, like just no one, even the sheriff, like can't even stand up to her, mm-hmm. which is crazy because he's like six five and she's yeah. like five five yeah. and tiny. And yeah, everyone is afraid of this woman. Um, even before the supernatural stuff starts mm-hmm. happening, everyone is scared of her. And it's so cool, so affecting. Um, other Flanagan regulars like Raul Coley is in this. He's the sheriff doing, a, honestly, a pretty decent American accent. He's great. Yeah. When he first showed up, um, what, who, I didn't recognize him from other Flanagan He's stuff. He's from um, Blind Manor. He was okay. the, the cook. Okay. Using You're right. Um, yeah. Yes. He, he looks completely different. Yeah. Looking uh, different facial hair, he uses his normal accent in Blind Manor, and he's doing an American accent in this one, which I thought it was wasn't that good at first, but I kind of got into it once I got the rhythms of mm-hmm. it down because it has a, a different kind of cadence than I yeah. was used to. And I feel like he really sold the role of yeah. the cop because as soon as he came on screen, I was interested in the character. Yeah, and he has some interesting stuff going on because he's the Muslim in the yes. community and he's trying to raise his son. His wife has passed from cancer. And he's being influenced by the outside world, by these new kids, these new friends. And he's probably like the second or third most important character outside of the church. And he becomes more and more important as the show goes on. Yeah. And I really like that dichotomy of him just being a good person, but also being a Muslim and Mm -hmm. viewed as an outsider and a usurper and a terrorist Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. But they get really into that as the show goes on. Yeah. It just kind of shows that, like, unless you're Christian, you're not accepted in this community. Yeah. No matter how good of a person you are. It's very, it's very cool. Uh, I like that dynamic Mm -hmm. a lot. And especially with him and his son, who is not even tempted. He's just curious about the church because all his friends go there. Hassan, Mm -hmm. he, him and his son have long scenes together where Mm -hmm. they discuss Christianity and Muslim and various religions and why they believe things and why Catholics believe things. And it's very eye opening to see like other takes on such a common religion, common story. It's for a horror show. And this is a horror show. We'll get into that later on. There are long periods of time where they just talk religion and philosophy. And I was never bored by any of it. Mm -hmm. I imagine some people will very likely be bored by it, but I I found it to be fascinating. Yeah. I, loved every minute of the show un- until that last monologue <laughs> but again we'll get into that um, yeah uh, like, so, it's so well written mm-hmm. like even scenes where like you said most people would be bored by these long five minute monologues it's just so interesting to hear what these characters have to say because each character is so fleshed out in their own way yeah, this is they clearly did a lot of research when they were writing this uh, i don't know much about uh, about Islam as a religion, but I do know that they view Jesus as a prophet, and they talk about that. That they, you know, they celebrate the search for knowledge. They talk about that, and it's it's really just I I think it's fascinating. 
I was mm-hmm. especially that scene in the school when there, it's like a PTA meeting or something. Yes, um, I think that's what third episode, second or third. Yeah, yeah. that's all one kind of my of favorite scenes to, yeah. in the in the show. There's nothing scary going on, but it had my attention the entire time. I think the show's best when it's not a horror. For the most part. The horror seems to be like a release from some of the more yeah. intense philosophical stuff. Yeah. The horror is definitely a... It's a build-up. And yeah. it's the underlining story. Mm-hmm. Where We're here for the characters. And the yeah. horror stuff is just the backdrop that pulls them together. Yes. And it's very Stephen Kingy in it that regard. It really is. It... I mean, Flanagan's been a fan of Stephen King since long before they started working together. Yeah, and he's done two or three King adaptations. He's done at two. This point. He was working on Revival, which uh, is one of the books that is seen a couple times in the show, um, but he dropped out of that because it's basically impossible to adapt. Yeah, and no studio wants to fund it. Yeah, because it it's just it's bleak, it's long, it's not particularly interesting until the end, and it is bleak. Yeah, that I is love that it's book, not a fun book to read. No, that book is one of the first things that happens is the the priest's family or the the pa- I think he's a pastor. pastor. His yeah. family dies in a brutal car accident mm-hmm. and it doesn't get better from no. there. But when the when the most uplifting thing about your story is the massive drug addiction, <laughs> maybe you should like yeah. I'm not sure what was going on with Stephen or Stephen King at the time, but that book is Fantastic book. Yep. I highly recommend it. And there's definitely some inspiration from Revival in Midnight Oh, absolutely. Mass. Even just with the, the idea of the recovering addict mm-hmm. versus the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, episode five is largely a conversation between Riley and the, and the priest and yes. um, Father Paul. Yes. Um, and again, like even though it's mostly just these two guys talking in a room for like 25 minutes... I was still interesting. Yeah. So I think we've talked about as far as we can go. We'll do like a summary here and then we have to get into spoilers because there is stuff you cannot talk about the show without spoiling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I highly recommend this show. Go in as blind as you can. Um, If you're familiar with Flanagan stuff, it'll teach you how to watch the show, especially the haunting shows. Mm -hmm. But it's its own beast. You don't need to know any of his other thing, any of his other work to get it. I agree with Ryan. I went into the show almost blind. I went in blind, but I had a, f- a sneaking suspicion that it it was about what it's about. So knowing that didn't take anything away from it, but I was more vigilant for cues. But every character is extremely well written. The backdrop of the island is gorgeous. It's a small, contained setting, and each episode hooked me. I was interested from start to finish of every episode, and I couldn't wait to watch the next one. I highly recommend it. Same. All right, so we're going to take a short break and get into the spoiler section and probably you know talk about more philosophy. <laughs> yes. So final warning after the music, full-blown spoilers. Yep. Welcome back to Crossroads. This is your final spoiler warning. The town is being taken over by vampires. So this, from the minute this started, I had a huge like Salem's Lot feeling 
just from all these characters returning home. That alone gave me the Salem's Lot feel. And then that giant chest shows up in the yeah. first episode. That's straight Salem's oh, Lot. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's... Is Salem's Lot on a bookshelf at one point? Um, I didn't notice it, yeah. but I was only looking at the books the characters were actively reading. Yeah. I wasn't looking at the bookshelves. Um, there is a Fight Club poster, but that's unrelated. There's I a screen cool. poster yeah. and a Seven poster. Too. Yeah. Oh, Seven. It might have been Seven, yeah. not Fight Club. But... Uh, David Fincher. Yeah. But, yeah, so this has huge Stephen King inspiration. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's a bit of needful things in there. There's a bit of revival in there. Definitely mostly revival in Salem's Lot because one of the most interesting things for me with this story is it doesn't straight up say they're vampires. It never does. It says angels, mm-hmm. disciples, mm-hmm. followers. So I think it's a really interesting take on the Bible to portray Jesus and his followers as vampires. Yes. There, there's a couple things about the vampirism that I find really interesting. Um, the most relevant, I think, to the story is that being a vampire doesn't make you a bad person. Mm-hmm. You just are a, simply a different type of thing. Uh, but the priest is still a priest, and he's still mm-hmm. going through mass. He's still he's able to touch crosses, and mm-hmm. nothing happens. Uh, Riley is himself when he becomes a vampire mm-hmm. in uh, episode four, five. Yes, five. Um, that whole conversation is about vampirism mm-hmm. in religious terms. It's really interesting, and the the metaphor is just that, like how it can spread through a community, and mm-hmm. it, it uses that as a as a metaphor as much as it uses it as literal vampirism it uses religion and christianity as a allegory for vampirism yes but even before she's a vampire bev is still just awful and is still kind of like a cowardly hypocrite even then but she gets so much worse at the end so yeah. essentially uh, the monsignor pruitt the the old priest went to the holy lands on a trip that he um to do whatever it is you do with the yeah. Holy Lands, and wandered around. He was senile, basically. Wandered yeah, he around had a, heavy dementia. Yeah. He's wandering around in a sandstorm and finds his way into a cave, and he encounters... Quote, an angel. An angel. It could be a fallen angel. It could be a demon. It could be a really old vampire that has transcended human features. It has wings. It's like eight mm-hmm. feet tall. Uh, long, pointed fingers. He, vaguely humanoid. Yeah. but um, And it feeds on him and gives him some of its blood which rejuvenates him to a young man yeah it gives him the peak body yes um i read somewhere that that's what thomas aquinas said was like the peak human body was like mid 30s or early 30s so that's kind of what he looks like he's much younger um and he comes back and he's not a vampire yet but he's feeding off the angel's blood and he's becoming addicted to mm-hmm. it. And there's a couple of different ways to read this, but in episode three, he dies and comes back as a vampire. And yeah. he could have been poisoned by Bev. I don't personally think that she would have done that yet. It's possible, though, because yeah. she did the killed the dog she in killed the, the second dog. episode. Yeah. So maybe she was seeing if it worked. Yeah. Um, but... Because that was after he cured the little girl from after the um he's been putting the vampire's blood in the the uh, the, the, chalice. Sac, the chalice wine, 
and it's rejuvenating other people as well not to the same extent as him but but for example there's a little girl who's wheelchair bound and mm-hmm. after drinking the 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 holy wine mm-hmm. for two sessions a couple it takes place over six weeks the okay. show does so um, probably after a week or two because yeah. this is episode two at this point yeah uh she gets up and walks mm-hmm. so clearly it's having it's putting everybody in their peak form um the doctor's mother is she's got dementia and yeah. slowly as the show goes on she gets younger and more clear-headed and what's interesting is that i recognized her from the credits i'm like but she's so much younger than that the, the, the makeup is not amazing but it's pretty solid i knew right away it was a <laughs> younger person yes. in a old woman makeup yeah but, but the performance it, it is there good. though yeah and like she acts and sounds like an old woman, so the mm-hmm. performance helps sell it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that um, the, I can't think of uh, Annabeth Gish playing her daughter also buys into this, even though she's clearly saying these things to a much younger woman. It mm-hmm. totally works. Yeah, they by the point mm-hmm. where the the mother is younger, mm-hmm. like the relationships established. Yeah, so it's believable. Absolutely. If that happened like episode one or two, it'd be a little weird. Yeah. But the way that Flanagan shot it over seven episodes, it's a slow transition. And that really adds to the realism of the show. Yes. Um, and I think that the father, just because he becomes sort of addicted to the blood, I think that's eventually what kills him and then brings him back. Uh, within the world of the show, if you've ingested the vampire, the head vampire's blood, and then you die, you come back as a vampire within a few minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not a very long turnaround time. <laughs> yeah. That scene in episode six where they're basically drinking the Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. I think that scene is the best part of this show. That is... It's after six episodes of just build up and mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan just lets it go. Yeah. The, the la- that bit in the entire last episode is basically just all of the horror distilled down into one thing there's, there's bits of it here and there mm-hmm. um also these vampires don't seem to have fangs like they just need to tear into people in a really yeah. brutal way and that's messed up like, they go into bloodlust when they're fresh yeah um like but even, we never yeah. see fangs we no. th- we just see like biting yeah. and ripping and it, it's pretty disturbing yeah it's like considering that the scariest things that have happened in the hill house or in the Bly shows are just you know ghosts kind of popping up and doing spooky stuff Mm -hmm. this is visceral this is more visceral than hush yeah and that had an actual serial killer in it yeah hush hush is awesome yeah that's probably mike flanagan's most realistic story yes it's the only one i can think of doesn't have supernatural elements yeah Uh, everything else is moderate to game but Gerald, that's Stephen King. Yeah, Gerald's game, it's ambiguous. Yeah, uh, it may, it may not. But the, um, yeah, Hush is really good. But yeah, they, they, after so much time, the, there's just these new vampires, and they're just tearing everyone apart. And yeah, because there's there's the church, the churchgoers, yeah. and by the end of the sixth episode, the church is full. But there's still hundred people on the island who don't go to church yeah. so these fresh vampires are hungry yes and they also seem to be able to go into houses uninvited yeah so which the- i did notice too so they never specifically say vampire in the show no. and so we don't know if they're vampires but based on what we know about vampires it's safe to assume that they are they're pretty close yeah. they need to feed on blood they get 
very sick if they don't. They get very sick if they eat something else. We don't know how they react to garlic. No. We do know they burn up in the sun. Yes. Uh, also, yeah, the show kills its main character half, like a little more than halfway through the show. That it, really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Riley. Yeah. He's a great character. And when he died, I was like, well, they killed yeah. the two characters I liked most. I, I went back um, and watched, watched it again. Um, not the entire season, but mostly yeah. just like those little parts. And mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like he knows that he's not. Uh, strong enough to take on whatever's going on. The show kills off the main character, or what we think is the main character, like four episodes. In. He's around for one more yeah. as a vampire, but that's when you—that's the kind of reveal. Like, oh, this is what's really going on. Is the you see the 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 angel demon vampire thing, whatever, attack him, and the next episode he's a vampire. Yes, and by the end of that episode, he tells his love interest, Aaron Green. Mm-hmm about the church and the vampires and everything. And you can kind of tell that she doesn't really believe him. Yeah. And then the sun comes out. And he bursts into flames. And that effect is really good and really, really sad. He just really collapses. And it's, yeah. And the he's been seeing the ghost, the woman that he killed throughout the show to that point. And he sees her again. And it's like she's taking him up to heaven. It's mm-hmm. a very cool thing. The sound drops yeah. out. It's almost like he's accepting what he's done. Yeah. And this comes after, you know, 25, 30 minutes of a conversation between Father Paul and Riley about, you know, by that point, Father Paul has killed and drank Joe's blood, the, the drunk on the island. Mm-hmm. And they have a whole conversation about, like, murder and you know what's ethical what's not ethical how they do and don't feel guilty and mm-hmm. it's really weird and really cool so to end but that it, leads yeah. into the later in the episode or next episode mm-hmm. when riley is telling um aaron and he writes the letters that father pruitt has yeah. lied to him mm-hmm. and he he can't trust the church that's a big big revelation yeah. in the show yeah and uh Wiley's father and mother are, you know, there. They've been taking taking the uh, the blood in. Mm-hmm. At the end of six, when all the people get turned, they don't willingly get turned. Yeah, um, they don't drink the red. No, but uh, uh, Henry Thomas as the Wiley's father. father. I can't think of what his his name is. He gets captured and attacked and drained, and he turns into a vampire that way. Uh, Bev gets shot and gets turned that way. She's too much of a coward to take the poison herself. She's a piece of work. <laughs> yeah, she's the villain. Absolutely, the she's villain. scarier I, than the the head vampire. Yeah, I would rather face the vampire than yeah. her. I every time she was on screen, I felt my skin crawl. Yeah, like she's just so slimy and, mm-hmm. and they make her up to look like herself, but just somehow worse. Yeah, like she like, doesn't. Bathe it's or something. the hair and her yeah. like prim and proper clothing. Like I would honestly consider going as her for Halloween. Do if, it. Like get a wig and shave my beard, which I don't really want to do, but do it. It would be fun. Like I just need to get one of those cloaks and then yeah. like just paint some blood on it. Carry it around some rat poison. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's so awful. One um, of my favorite scenes was when the mother was talking to her and she's like, "You are not a good person." Yeah. Like. 
because there's there's people like that in the world who think they're like really good Christians, but they just are bad people. Yeah, and this ties into that metaphor also because they're to make sure that the the humans have nowhere to go. They're burning down every building on the island, destroying boats, except for the church and the rec center. Which, you know, maybe don't do that because then it allows the humans to burn down the church and the rec center. <laughs> yeah. Which happens. Yeah. Like, Although it is interesting that vampires set both of those fires too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's um, by that point, uh, it's the doctor's mother has turned and she sets the fire in the church mm-hmm. because Father John has, or Father Paul has left the church by that point. He walks away. Yeah. And Turns and out he was the doctor's father. That That's a whole other thing. And then the sheriff starts the gasoline on the rec center, but his son lights it. His son lights the fire. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that the being a vampire doesn't make you good or bad. It's no. just it's another way of being. Just like being religion being a religious in some way doesn't make you good yeah, or bad. They got brainwashed into being vampires, yeah. or in this case, Christians. Christians. And, you know, once it's too late they realize they don't want that. They want to yeah. get out. And by that point, the church won't let you. Yeah. Um, I know some people who grew up in like church cults, mm. and it is extremely hard to leave. And getting will, out yeah. is basically like setting yourself aflame. Yeah, getting out is you lose all the contacts you have. You have nothing. Mm-hmm. There was a, a YouTube movie reviewer that I really liked, um, Chris Stuckman, and he left a religious cult when he was young, and he has a multi-part, just basically a story of his life, and it's harrowing. I think he's making a movie out. That would be awesome, actually. It probably would be really tough to get it released because of the power that they have. But uh, I would like to see that. Um, And there's definitely element. And this movie or this show, it's almost like a seven-hour movie. Um, It's so powerful because you can watch it just as a pure vampire story or as the allegory that it's clearly trying to be. Yeah, I when I went in, I was like looking for the vampire story. Mm. I wanted the vampire story, but the more it went on, the more into the religious Mm. allegory it got, and that's what really hooked me. The way they juxtapose. The church and the vampires mm. is just done flawlessly. I mean, to the point that the the vampire monster is wearing the Monsignor's old clothes in multiple scenes. Yeah. Enough that it's clearly on purpose. Yeah. Because other scenes, he just walk, it flies around naked, aside mm-hmm. from its wings. But multiple times, it's wearing the, the chaucet, the... The, whatever the, that yeah. robe is called. It, um, the hat and cloak, like mm-hmm. the exorcist. Yeah, I, I thought exorcist. Like, yeah. When I think, like, priest, I think exorcist. Yeah. It's... But, there's there's surprisingly a few references to the exorcist in this. Which I'm good. I'm glad yeah. about. I'm happy about that. Just, that's one of the most famous religious horror movies. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I cannot praise this series enough. Yeah, it's... I think by this point we're just kind of beating a dead horse. Yeah. But it's fantastic. There's like, so much intelligent things that it has to say there's i mean we have issues with the monologues um yeah there's there's the monologue that aaron green her and riley are talking about death and they're talking about what they think happens when they die Mm -hmm. specifically riley and aaron what happens when they die and they each give like a three to six minute monologue yeah and then in the final episode when aaron does die she gives that same monologue (laughs) Basically. And that's where I was like, can we just cut to the ending? 
Like, this is, it's good, but we saw it. Yeah. The one that bothered me the most, even though I think it's incredibly well-performed and fits the character, is the um, is Hassan's one when he's not going to investigate the church. Uh, when he's telling the doctor. Oh, his backstory? Yeah. I think it's a fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. I just think that would have fit better earlier That should have came earlier, yeah. Cause the, but that's the... F- Six episodes. Six episodes, yes. halfway through. By that point, we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need to have this happen. We just, we really need to get yeah. rampling towards the ending. The, there's a great monologue, and you could put that almost uncut into another episode, and it yeah. would play. You could put that whole scene in another yeah. episode. Like, I think they kind of realized we because by the end, he's a main character. He's yeah. the one we're rooting for, and we don't really know much about him. At yeah. that point, we just know that he's a Muslim in a Christian town. Yeah. And, like, that should have been episode one or two. Yeah. But and they focused so much on Riley and Aaron, yeah. like, there wasn't really time for it. Yeah. The There's the, the dynamic between Riley and Aaron that's reflected in Bev and uh, and Father Paul, mm-hmm. Monsignor Pruitt. Uh, and it's just that kind of... A dichotomy, and then the two of them sort of fall away. Father Paul gets kicked out by Bev mm-hmm. for not being divine enough, not being vampiric enough, yeah. and Riley burns himself up. It in like an inversion of of Christ. I, I I can't remember where I found it, but it was a, a list of things that were like inversions of Christianity and how clever a lot of them were. Okay. Like, um, I'll have to look at that. If you find yeah. it, send that to me. Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting stuff that I mean I was raised Catholic but I don't remember all of the specifics. Yeah, I went to like Sunday school mm-hmm. and confirmation classes all till I was like eighteen and yeah. I haven't stepped foot in a church since. <laughs> I, I don't remember any of it. I it's been I honestly I never liked it. I always thought it was bullshit. I got really into it for a while, um, but I, I mean I live within walking distance of five churches, and I have not been inside any of them. Yeah, I think the only time I stepped foot inside a church after my confirmation was for my brother's confirmation. Even my friends are all getting married in like very secular places, mm-hmm. uh, and I would, I mean, the way that the town is set up, there really wasn't that mu- that place for that argument of secularism versus mm-hmm. uh, Christianity. But there is some of it in the show. It, it's it's definitely a thing I will rewatch. I don't think it's quite on the level of Hill House, but Hill House is lightning in the bottle. I still stand by that Hill House is a masterpiece. Yeah, nothing Flanagan has done tops it, and I think it's just a brilliant story. Absolutely, but it's, Midnight yeah. Mass I think is second. Yeah, Midnight Mass is right underneath. It's not quite as good as Hill House, but very little is and. I think it's better than Bly Manor, which... Yeah. Bly Manor's good, but it's got a lot more issues. It has a lot of issues. I think that's because Flanagan took a much looser hand with that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was not even on set when most of that was being made. He was off working on other projects. He directed every episode of Hill House, right? Yes, and of this, but yes. not of Bly Manor. Yeah. He so only directed he was, one. He was definitely getting his stuff done for this. Yes. I think he was starting to... I think when Bly Manor was out, he was starting to work on, on this. This was way, clearly his baby. Yeah. And um, I think you mentioned to me off mic that he's been working on this for like 10 years. Yeah. He started writing this, I think, even before Absentia came out. This was a thing that he'd been working on forever. And as he just continues to develop clout, mm-hmm. and every project's been more successful than the last one, 
clearly the guy. I mean, he's talented, but he also just works. Yeah, he's consistently working. Yeah. He's been putting out something for the last like eight years, yeah. every year for eight years. Yeah. Whether it be a TV series or... A, so I remember something. Oculus came out and then like a year and a half later, Hush dropped and then yeah. Gerald's Game, Doctor Sleep mm-hmm. and he just keeps putting it out. Yeah, the guy just works. And he, oh, so, he did yeah. a Ouija Origin of Evil. Yeah, which is just kind of like his okay. his one like a, like clearly commercial movie. Even Doctor Sleep is made for the art. It's not yeah. made for making money. Ouija was clearly made for making money. Yeah. <laughs> which isn't even that bad a movie. Like, it has cigarette burns in it, which I know isn't the term, but that's what everyone calls them any, these days. Called. So, yeah. Real markers or something. Yeah. yeah. But, but no. Without that, he never would have started working with uh, Henry Thomas. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great partnership because Henry Thomas has been in everything since. I like how he reuses the cast. Yeah. And he they, puts. He knows what roles these actors and actresses can play. He puts them in the right role, and they clearly like him if they keep coming back. Yeah. And I've heard interviews with him from like Mick Garris and um, Elijah Wood did one, and he's just a, sounds like a very genuine guy. Yeah. And I'm happy he's getting the recognition he deserves. Yeah. I mean, dude works his ass off. Mm-hmm. He writes, produces, he edits most of his own stuff. He did not edit uh, Midnight Mass, but he does edit most of his other things. Mm-hmm. Um, his films certainly and some of the episodes of his TV shows but uh, yeah, the guy just works and I can't wait yeah. to see what he does next I have no idea what he's working on but he's I'm, probably going to take actually no, he's working on something called The Midnight Club which is unrelated to Midnight Mass I think it's only two episodes okay it's a very is that a, it could be a Are You Afraid of the Dark thing it could be um, I don't know when that's coming out or where it's coming out but that's on his IMDb right, page I think Netflix loves him because he makes them a lot of really good content. Yeah. I mean, everything. Hush up... was the first Netflix deal he did. Yes. Yeah. And Hush was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Hush was why they started putting out. Um... No. They did Hush then Gerald's game. Yes. And he also did. Um, they released Before I Wake, which was not a thing he made for Netflix, but a thing that they distributed. Mm-hmm. It had been sitting around for a little while before they put it out. Forgot he did that. Yeah, it's. It's his outlier. It's yeah. like a children's second film, right? Second or third, yeah. Because uh, Absentious is his first and Oculus. Oculus is way too confident a film to be someone's second movie. Well, he it was a short film, and yeah. then Absentia did well. And I, he got yeah. funding from Blumhouse for it. I still love Oculus. It's incredible. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. I hated it when I first saw it, and I just got under my skin, and I love that movie now. Yeah, mirrors are freaky. Mm-hmm. And that mirror keeps popping up in other projects, too. Mm-hmm. It's in Hill House. It might be in Bly Manor. Mike Flanagan Easter eggs. I did not catch it in uh, Midnight Mass. Although, the book Midnight Mass is in Hush. It's the book that, um, hmm. that Kate Siegel's character is writing. And it's the book that um, Carlo Gugino is reading in Gerald's Game. So, that's cool, too. It's a Mike Flanagan universe. Yeah, he's seriously. taking cues from Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, like he really he's is. a huge Stephen King fan, Absolutely. and it shows. Like and this is the, the plotting of this borrows a lot mm-hmm. from King and themes, although handled in his own way. King would handle this way differently, yeah. and I think honestly, probably not as well. King is great, but he's got some issues. Yeah, like, and I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and. I think Mike Flanagan is a better storyteller. I wonder if the monologues come from... Because 
King likes to take time out of the stories to go in backstories of mm-hmm. the character. I wonder if that's where the monologues come from because you can't really do that in the same way. On film, film and novel, <laughs> film and, and writing are yeah. totally different languages. Yeah. So I could, I could see an argument for it, but yeah. at this moment, I, I, I want to say no. I, I do, for the most part, like the monologues, but they there's so many in Midnight Mass, it almost feels like a joke. Yeah, each episode's got at least two. Yes. And yeah, that's a... Uh, uh. Yeah. But I think I've said my piece. I um, have too. I got nothing left to say yeah. other than go watch this show. If you yeah. if you somehow listen to the spoiler section without watching it, well... You, you know, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined a great show Because we yourself. just told you everything, but man, that... But, yeah, apart so from the final monologue from Aaron, I yeah. didn't care for that. I'm glad you liked it, but yeah. I personally that took me out of it. By that point, I was ready for. The, I mean, because it's so end. visually different mm-hmm. that it's just a completely different experience, and you get to see Riley one last time, which was yeah. kind of cool. And I was just kind of ready for the show to be over. By that yeah. point, it was already like yeah. episode seven, seven and a half hours burn, deep. Yeah, episode seven definitely like burns out all of your adrenaline mm-hmm. you've been sitting there for six hours mm-hmm. and all of a sudden like oh yeah i watched like four oh, episodes straight each yeah. day so. yeah i i was gonna only watch one or two towards the end and then my cat fell asleep in my lap i'm like well, i guess i'm stuck in here <laughs> that's usually how it happens <laughs> yeah. but yeah highly recommend um i think it's near perfect yes slightly below hill house but hill house is basically perfect yeah, you, you can't beat hill house. i have nothing it's to criticize terrifying. yeah and it's also thoughtful and yeah. interesting and brilliant in all the same ways that Midnight mm-hmm. Mass is. But there's a little bit more of it. And yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. But Flanagan just knows Flanagan's what he's doing. Awesome. Yeah. He's probably my top filmmaker right now. He's and def- he has yeah. been since Hush came out. He's, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite. Fucking awesome. Yeah. And he has a distinctive voice, but mm-hmm. he knows how to modify it for different projects. And it's like the Fincher of horror. Yeah. Yeah. Just seems like a really nice guy too like just a quality dude who likes giving his friends work but yeah. not like Adam Sandler who like puts them in crap he actually like lets them stretch their wings yes but um next week there's a couple movies coming out I don't think we fully decided but it's between Venom to Tiante I believe it's pronounced it's French film okay and the Mary Saints of Newark the Sopranos film well, I'll Which figure it out. Yeah, I think Sopranos is coming to HBO, so okay. we won't have to go to a theater for that. Yeah. But I plan on watching all three films anyway. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. we got some time. But So thanks for listening to our deep dive on Midnight Mass. Join us next week for one of those three films. Or maybe we'll throw a curveball and do something else. <laughs> You'll have to tune in to find out. Yeah. Thank you for joining us at The Crossroads. <laughs>